open your Bibles up to Psalm chapter 30. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to grab one off of either of the tables back there uh, and, and keep that as your own, or you're welcome to just use it for today if you want. If you do have one of those Bibles, Psalm 30 is on page 486, uh, and then we're, we're continuing today, like I said, the series called uh, The Psalms of Joy, and, uh, and since today's Easter Sunday... Uh, I thought it'd be fitting for us to look at a psalm that will, will help us take joy in the promise of resurrection. And, and Psalm 30 is a psalm of thanksgiving that helps worshipers express praise to God for the constant care and the, re- the repeated rescue that he provides us from death, right? This isn't just a once a year thing that we celebrate. This is an everyday thing of our lives. And yet, uh, I think we can lose sight of that. Sometimes The title at the beginning of the psalm says that, that David wrote the psalm uh, as a song of dedication for God's house. God's house was the temple, right? In David's time, it was the tabernacle. It was a temporary setting, a tent that they set up and tore down and, and moved when God moved. And he would uh, bring his presence there by, by a, a pillar of cloud and, and fire. And when that lifted, the people went with him wherever he led, right? But there was a promise that there would be a, a permanent temple uh, and that, that David um, looked forward to where God's presence would come and dwell permanently among his people. But God told David that David wouldn't be the one to build that temple, right? If you remember, he told David that David's son Solomon would be the one to build that temple. But that doesn't mean David like, was hands off, that he'd had nothing to do with it. He, he uh, in his kingly manner used all of his resources and, and, and planned and made a lot of arrangements and made sure that Solomon had everything that he needed to complete this task of building the temple. And it appears here that David even provided music to, to sing in worship to God at the dedication of the temple. And so that's what this psalm is, is for. But other than the title, the psalm isn't really focused on the temple. In fact, we don't we don't hear the word temple mentioned anywhere in this psalm other than in the title and, and the, the, the house there. Uh, but the temple was associated with God's presence because that was God's earthly dwelling place. And God's presence is a major theme of this psalm. And, and David associates God's presence with, with his deliverance from death. God, God was there to rescue David from death. We're going to see that. And so as we meditate on this psalm together this morning, my prayer is that if you remember from Ephesians, we've been told that as believers, we are now the temple. We are the living, breathing temple of God. And so as God's living temple, that we would dedicate ourselves this morning to praising our Savior for deliverance that he's given us through the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? So I want to read this psalm and ask God to Help us as we go through it, and then we'll jump into the message. Psalm 30, a psalm, a dedication song for the house of David. I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. When I was secure, I said, I'll never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When when you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called to you. 
I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit who dwells in us would expose the truth that's here. Bring our hearts to joy in Christ through it. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been a year. A lot's happened in that year, but it feels like a lot of the same thing has happened in that year, right? Last year, if you joined us on, on Zoom for our first ever Easter service, uh, service at Redeemer, it was bittersweet, right? It was bittersweet. And really, to think about it in, in terms of the whole scope of things, last year, Easter celebration as, in general was bittersweet because most, if not all, of the church buildings were empty, but at the same time, so was the grave, right? And, and that was something that we needed to focus on, that, that even though that, that, that the church buildings were empty, and, and that's painful, that, that the grave is empty still 2,000 years later, and that gives us reasons, reason to rejoice. Now, we tried to sing over Zoom. I don't recommend that, okay? Just, yeah. I'm going to bury that recording somewhere. Um, but here's the thing, right? Like, I love, I love that, that this year we can say we're here together. I love that we get to, to physically be together, that, that at the end of the service, we will sing together. And I don't care if, if you're tone deaf or not. That's not the point, right? That we hear each other's voices standing next to one another proclaiming these truths together. There's something about that that you can't replicate through a computer screen. And yet, if we're not careful, we can wind up almost re rejoicing more over the fact that we get to be together today to celebrate the resurrection than, than over the fact that the grave is still empty this year, right? Just as empty as it was last year, just as empty as it was 2,000 years ago. Nothing has changed in that sense, even though our world has changed in many ways. But for us, like Easter Sunday, it's like the Sunday of Sundays, right? It's like, it's like the one Sunday, if we, if, we could, if we could make sure that we were able to gather on one Sunday, it would be this one. Right? Because this is the crux of our faith. This is, this is what we declare to be true because this is what's true. If this goes away, our faith is useless, as Paul says, right? It's worthless and we're still dead in our sins. And so when we don't get to gather on Easter Sunday, it's easy for us to feel like we've missed our chance to celebrate. And I know last year we tried. We tried hard. Right? And, and we talked about on, on Friday, we, uh, our Good Friday service this year, we, we looked at Psalm 22 and, and how lament is actually a gift from God that draws us near, right? It's an avenue to our joy, not an obstacle to it. And yet, it's, it's easy still for us to feel that, that sting, that miss, that we miss of being together to celebrate. 
And while this past year, Lord willing, has helped us, has convinced us that we need to be together, right? That we have this conviction as a body that, that we gather regularly as believers. That We need to be clear, though, that the, the reason why we do that not to maintain our religious freedom. It's to proclaim the resurrection. Every single time. We gather to worship the God who rescued us from death and raised us to eternal life in his son. The message does not change. We will go, Lord willing, through this whole entire book. And we will find nothing new. And that's a very good thing. That message does not change. And so here's, here's what we need to think about this morning. Jesus' resurrection guarantees that we'll always have a reason to sing. And we're going to see that in the psalm. So Psalm 30. Let's look at the first few verses again. I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol, you spared me from among those going down to the pit. David gives three reasons why the Lord should be exalted. He gives three reasons why he's exalting the Lord. The Lord delivered him from his enemies, reason number one. The Lord answered his prayer and healed him, reason number two. And the Lord rescued him from death, reason number three. Now as king of Israel, David had a lot of enemies, right? from the surrounding nations. This is actually one of the reasons why he was not the one to build the temple because he, he did so much war and bloodshed that the Lord wanted Solomon to do it instead. He had a lot of enemies. But, but he actually had enemies within his own camp, right? The, some of the Israelites themselves, King Saul, who, whom God gave David the throne and, and dethroned Saul because he was disobedient to God. Saul wanted to kill David. David's own son, Absalom, wanted to kill David and take over his throne. But time after time after time, the Lord kept David's enemies from triumphing over him. He rescued him. And he praises God for it here in verse 1. He says, the Lord lifted him up. The, the image in the Hebrew there conveys this, this, this picture of God reaching down and drawing up David from the deep in order to save him. It's a connection to the language that he uses in verse 3 when he praises God for sparing him from going down to the pit and from among those that go down to the pit. The, the pit was, was, was viewed in David's day as this giant cistern, this big deep well type thing that served as the entrance to Sheol, the realm of the dead, where everybody went. And David's enemies wanted to send him to the pit, but God wouldn't allow David's enemies to send him to the pit in the Hebrew, David says, you have not gladdened my enemies' hearts. You haven't allowed them to triumph over me. And again, in verse 3, he says, you brought me up. Same kind of language in verse 1. It's this, this picture of, of a bucket coming up out of a well. Like the pit of Sheol. And in rescuing David from his enemies, God rescued him from death. And he gladdened David's heart. So he says, I'll, I'll exalt you. I'll extol you. And sandwiched in between those two verses of, uh, uh, those two pictures of rescue in verse 1 and 3, David says, I cried to you and, and you helped me. And you healed me. 
Now, David doesn't give the details, but the language he uses implies that it's a physical healing of some sort. And regardless of, of what he was healed from, the point is that he was healed, and God was the one who healed him. And God did it in response to David's plea for help. The overall theme in these first three verses that David's communicating is that God is a God who hears the pleas of his people and responds to their rescue, responds with rescue. His presence is always with them, and that means that his help is always with them. We learned from Psalm 22 on Friday that that's not always clear, and we'll see that again in this psalm. But that's the reality. God's a God who hears, who knows, who responds, right? And for that, he's worthy of praise. And praise is exactly what David calls upon God's people to do in the next set of verses. Look at verse 4. Sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight. There's joy in the morning. Now, the command to sing in verse 4, it's a call. This is where we get some temple imagery. It's a call of, for all of God's people gathered there, the faithful ones at the temple, to join in a chorus of praise to God for his faithfulness to them. Now, surely they too, and, and other people from generations on, remember that this is a psalm. It, it's the hymn book of the Old Testament for God's people. Long after David's gone, it's meant for, to guide worshipers in their praise to God. And so the singer can, can respond in a way that, that, that says, I, I know this to be true too. That, that I too have experienced both weeping and joy in the Lord as David has. That I've cried out to the Lord for help and he's helped me. But note the parallelism in, in, in verse 5 that David uses, right? Anger with weeping. Moment with overnight. Favor with joy. Lifetime with mourning. It's, a, it's this beautiful picture of God's mercy over judgment. Over his judgment. And it's all in response to dwelling on God's holy name. This, this reminder that this is who God is in verse 4. And once again... We're drawn back to the words God used to describe himself in Exodus 34 when he said this to, the, to Moses. said, the Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. It's mercy and justice, right? This is who God is. Generations of God's people experienced his faithful love when he did not treat them as their sins deserve, like we saw in Psalm 103 a few weeks ago. But he disciplined them as a loving father to his child. And he brought them to humble repentance and renewed trust in him. You see, God's anger lasts only a moment and weeping stays only overnight because his discipline on his children is measured. And it's designed to lead his children back into the joy and the favor of his blessing like the dawn of a new day. In scripture, the morning is always a picture of newness. Wasn't that sunrise just fantastic this morning? 
The morning is always a picture of newness and restoration and blessing. In Lamentations 3, after lamenting over the heavy weight of God's judgment against Israel for their sin, the prophet Jeremiah says this, Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. We probably have had several nights of weeping over this last year. And we will have several more. But there's joy in the morning when we experience God's mercies anew. And I love it because it's not like God's mercies run out at night and then they renew in the morning. No, no. That's not what he said. They never end. God's mercies carry us to the morning. And then the sunlight lets, it see us, lets, them, lets us see them again, right? David recalls his experience with both the joy of God's favor and the sorrow of God's discipline in the next few verses. Look at verse 6. When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. God had rescued David from his enemies, right? We saw that already. He told us about that at the beginning of the psalm. He strengthened David physically and he spared David from death. Now, David had every reason to feel secure. Sometimes I tell my wife that I'm invincible until God kills me. It's true. He has complete control over my life. She probably doesn't appreciate the way I word it. But that's the reality. You can, you, you, listen, as a believer in Christ, what can mortal man do to you, right? We learn that again. One of the Psalms that we just went through in this series. David had been rescued over and over. He'd been strengthened. He'd been spared from death. He had every reason to feel secure. And he did. But he lost sight of where that security came from, right? And he grew arrogant. He said, I'll, I'll never be shaken. Nothing could touch me. He felt invincible. And again, that's true as long as he had the Lord's favor. The Lord made him stand like a strong mountain. Immovable, impenetrable. If the morning is a picture of newness, the mountain in Scripture is a picture of strength. It's a picture of God's presence and his power. David grew comfortable in, in that sense of security, and, and, and he forgot that God was the one who provided it. And so what does he say? God hid his face from him. He withheld his favor from David, and, and he didn't allow David to feel the sense of his presence with him. He removed David's security, and, and David was terrified. David quickly realized that he had no security without the Lord. 
He grew proud, and he said, I'll never be shaken. And then what happened? The Lord shook him. You see, the danger of security is to believe that that we are the source of it or that our circumstances are the thing that maintains it. But we need to remember that God is the source. God is the provider of our strength. And he, when he hides his face, when he disciplines us as his children, he does it to shake the foundations of our self-reliance and our self-confidence and drive us humbly back to him. It's an act of mercy. It doesn't feel right when to say God has hidden his face from me and that's mercy, right? But his mercy never ends. It's new every morning. When God hides his face from his children, it's discipline, not condemnation. It's an act of mercy. It's a gift of kindness that enables us to see clearly our own insufficiency, to keep us from relying on ourselves again, or the things around us, or the people around us, and run to him instead for rescue. Think about everything that you've gone through this past year. Now, we'll be honest, a lot of stuff has happened to us, right? Out of our control, things we never would have planned for ourselves, not in a million years. A lot of areas where it might feel like God has hidden his face from us. Is it possible that he has? In some of those things, was he hiding his face? Is it possible that any of the hardships that you faced, whether, whether corporately or, or personally over this past year, were actually gifts of God's mercy to keep you growing too confident in yourself? We started Redeemer in October of 2019 and felt pretty good in March of 2020. Now, if you have known me any length of time, you know that my heart is that Christ is the sole strength and provider and, and the one who gets all the praise at this church. This church is not built on me. But God emphasized that for me. And that was a good thing. None of us are beyond the need for God to hide his face every once in a while and bring us back to him, to help us depend on him. You need to understand that God is not your adversary in those moments. He's your helper. In verse 2, David recalled how he cried out to the Lord for help and the, the Lord healed him. And then here in verses 8 through 10, he returns to that same theme. He cried out to the Lord for help because he knew that the Lord is gracious to help his people. This is who God is. This is who God has revealed himself to be in Exodus 34. And David knew that God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And so David once again sought favor from his Lord, not for David's own glory this time, but so that David could glorify the Lord when he responded. Think about his questions in verse 9. They reflect this belief in his day that, that the pit of death silenced all who went there. Psalm 115, 17 uh, corroborates that idea. It says, it is not the dead who praise the Lord, nor any of, of those descending into the silence of death. Psalm 6, 5, for there is no remembrance of you in death. Who can thank you in Sheol? In essence, 
back here in Psalm 30, David's argument is this. Lord, if you punish me, if you, if you bring death upon me for boasting in my strength, how will I be able to praise you for your justice? The grave will silence me. But if you listen to my plea, if you listen to my plea for help and you respond with grace, then, then I can make both your justice and your mercy known to all. You see, the focus of David's plea here is not so much concerned with what happens in the afterlife. The understanding of, of the afterlife develops through script, throughout Scripture and God's revelation. The, the focus here is concerned with what is the purpose now of David's earthly life. And in Psalm 16, another famous Easter passage, David is confident that because of the covenant that God made with him, there's more that awaits David in the afterlife than silence. Psalm 16, 9 through 11, David says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal to me the path of life. In your presence there is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Psalm 16 shows that David's security in the Lord extends beyond even death. But here in Psalm 30, David's desire is to show that his security is in the Lord now while he still lives. He knows that he has boasted in himself and he wants to redeem that time and boast in the Lord instead. And that's exactly what he does to finish out the psalm. Look at verse 11 and 12. You turn my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Again, there's parallelism here. This is a song, right? There's structure. There's, there's artistry involved here. He, 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 he puts lament with sackcloth. He puts dancing with gladness. The imagery here takes the worshiper from a funeral to a feast right? From God's anger that lasts only a moment and weeping that stays overnight to his favor that lasts a lifetime and joy that comes in the morning from, from the sorrow of death to the celebration of life. And notice this time who David focuses on. In verse 6, David's confidence was in himself. In verse, seven, it's, or verse 11, it's in the Lord, right? He says to God, you you turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And in verse 12, he points to the reason. So that I can sing to you and not be silent. In other words, David's saying, you brought me up out of the silence of death so that I can praise your holy name in life. And then he confidently declares, Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Forever. Why? Because he knows that God's mercy will last forever. See, this psalm shows us God's desire for his people to be with him and to worship him forever. And it shows us just how far he'll go to make that happen. He's willing to bring us low in order to lift us up, right? He's willing to hide his face in order to draw us nearer to him. He's willing to, to show us his anger so that we don't have to endure his judgment, 
He's willing to, to put us in the sackcloth so that he can clothe us then with gladness. He's willing to let us weep through the night so that we can find joy in the morning. And he does all of this to rescue us, not just from the world around us, not just from our spiritual enemy, but from our own hearts. Sometimes we take ourselves down to the pit by our own pride. He shows us mercy and grace so we have reason to praise. Not just for the rest of our days here, but for all eternity. And now as worshipers of the Lord, we can read this psalm. We can read this psalm. We can join in with David and, and the rest of God's people who sang it before us. And we can give thanks to God for rescuing us from death and for giving us every reason to praise him forever. You see, we get God's favor because he hid his face from his son while Jesus was being crucified. God's anger with us only lasts a moment because Jesus willing, willingly received the full wrath of God against us and paid the entire debt of our sin against him. We are separated, or, or excuse me, are, are spared from going down to the pit because God did not spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. We are lifted up from death because Jesus was lifted up on the cross and died in our place. We were reminded again on Friday from Psalm 22 that the sorrow of the crucifixion didn't last forever. Praise God. Amen and amen. God did not abandon his son to Sheol. He did not allow his faithful one to see decay. No, joy came in the morning on the first day of the week. When the ladies went in and looked at the tomb and saw it was empty. And not just empty for a day empty forever, right? Jesus left the grave clothes behind so that we could be clothed with undying gladness. He turned our lament over death into dancing and celebration for eternal life. He left the tomb so that we could sing, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? See, there was a time when you and I, as believers now, before we became believers, when we were confident in ourselves and we were reliant on our own strength. There was a time when our security had a false foundation, but the Lord in his kindness showed us our sin and he crumbled our confidence so that we would cry out to him for help. And when we cried out, guess what happened? He helped us. When we confessed our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He listened to our cries and he responded with the grace of salvation in Jesus Christ. And now he continues to rescue us still with transforming grace. When we grow forgetful and when we begin to boast in ourselves or we look for security in other things and we, we think about how we've lost all, so much over the last year, our routines and our, our, the, the things that we've grown comfortable in. Sometimes the Lord hides his face. Sometimes he disciplines us and he reminds us of our desperate need for him. And he does that to show us what we're missing. Who we're missing. And he draws us back in his kindness and his mercy to, to repentance and he strengthens us once again 
with his presence. And his presence dwells in us permanently by his spirit. Do you know that? Even when God hides his face from you, he's still there. As a believer in Christ, Paul tells us that that we've been sealed by God's Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We were sealed by the Spirit the moment that we heard the gospel and we believed it, that, that God is building us together into his spiritual dwelling place. Not only does each individual believer have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, but as a church, when we gather together, we, we represent the temple of the Lord, the dwelling place of the Spirit. And he's rescued and redeemed us and brought us together so that we can sing and not be silent. Because as people of the resurrection, we will. We'll praise him forever. Think about this for a moment. David has been dead for thousands of years, but he's singing right now. Not metaphorically, actually. Death has not silenced him. He's been resurrected in Christ and with Christ. The only thing that David is missing is his physical body, and that's coming. And as believers, we have the same hope. Think about the words of this psalm coming from David's mouth now as he's face-to-face with his risen Lord and and, and joining in the chorus of faithful ones who who have sung this in their lifetime and are now singing it in eternity. See, these, are, these words are just as true and wonderful in David's eternal life as they were in his earthly life. The only difference now for him is that the, the anger and the weeping and the terror and the, the lament, those are all past tense, never to be experienced again. Now it's only favor and joy and dancing and gladness forever. This is what we have to look forward to as followers of Christ. And it's all been guaranteed by his resurrection. Did you know that we have a daily, physical, built-in reminder of the hope that we have in Christ and his resurrection? It's the sunrise. Sometimes it's hidden, but it's always there. That's our reality. The resurrection guarantees us that the death, that death will not have the final word. The resurrection guarantees us as believers that even though God may hide his face to discipline us, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. The resurrection guarantees us that his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. The resurrection guarantees us that God will be with us and we will be with him forever. The resurrection guarantees us that sorrow and darkness of this broken world will not stay forever. The resurrection guarantees us that the morning is coming, right? And joy is coming with it. And so we, we have every reason to praise God this morning that we get to be here together in person to speak of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. but he's resurrected forever. And so we need to praise him forever. Whether we're able to gather for an Easter service or not, because Jesus' resurrection guarantees that we will always have a reason to sing. Amen?
Father, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you that your word teaches us. Sometimes we endure hard things, not just from the world or our spiritual enemy, not as a result uh, of uh, things outside us, but sometimes because our hearts wander and we fail to see the God who has rescued us. So in love, you hide your face. In kindness, you bring lament, weeping. But you do that, Lord, to show us new morning mercies and joy in a new day. And so we pray this morning that you would help us to be glad that we celebrate Easter Sunday, that we celebrate a king who is risen, who is risen indeed, who will never go back to the grave. Jesus is the first one to die and raise and never die again. Because of that, we who belong to him have the same hope. Not wishful thinking, but a future guarantee. So all that we endure between now and then, help us see that as coming from your good hand to keep us secure, not in ourselves, but in you. And give us a song to sing of our great Redeemer. We pray this in his name. Amen.